You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. God bless whoever uh, put this fan up here. You must know that I'm a free sweater, but uh, I'm going to have to risk it. You you guys okay? We doing good? Awesome. All right. We're just going to jump straight into the ministry of the word today. Um, And last week, if you were here, uh, one, you guys just honored me more than um, I deserved. And I just want to say thank you for all who put so much thought and effort into time um, to celebrate. And I'm not a very sentimental person, not much for celebration, but I think it's important, um, not for my sake, but for the sake of our church, um, just to celebrate what God is doing and that, um, you know, it's hard to lose someone like Tyler, such a great leader, you know, and um, I am not Tyler. And so I think it's kind of, important that we acknowledge that like God does new things and different things, but he's still kind of doing an old thing. And so I think that was what was, I was reminded of um, last week. And so last week I talked to you a little bit about who I am. And this week in the last day of this introduction, I just want to talk to you a little bit about who I'm about, like what I'm about, what's my vision, Um, which I think is important that you know the place that I'm coming from and and the posture of my heart um, towards the way I live my life, the way I'm going to lead this church. And so I just want to share that with you today, but it's actually not really my vision, if I'm honest. It's really, it's God's vision because what I want to do is just circle into what he's always doing. And what that means for me is, you know, I am prone to like future thinking. I love looking ahead and God's given me uh, I think an apostolic spirit, a prophetic spirit. I like to, and can kind of see what's coming. But one of the ways this church has blessed me, particularly under the influence and um, pastorate of my sister Gemma, has been deeply instilling in me a reminder that sometimes and oftentimes the best way to go forward is by going back. It's by looking at the old ways and the ancient ways and learning the lessons that have already been learned and holding dear to them so that they can propel us forward in health. And so in part, I just want to say this uh, to our congregation. Uh, We've got a lot of like new faces. I walked around a little bit today and I met some new people uh, and everyone's like, I just moved here. And I was like, great, welcome. Uh, And so that's really cool that we have uh, some new people and this church is like, going to be benefited from that. But we also have some like old people and people who've like been here way longer than I have, which is not very hard. I've only been here a year. Um, But people who've seen multiple transitions in this space. And I think it is very important that we just recognize that the truth that has been, that's happened in these walls, the truth that has propelled every iteration of the people that have called this place their gathering place, um, it has been a search for the gospel and to make it known throughout this Williamsburg area. And that's not changing. 
We're not doing some brand new radical new thing. We're actually just continuing the same old dedication to God, the same old dedication to the gospel, the same old dedication to be a neighborhood and a place for all people. And, and, I, and I just wanna say, if you're new here, I wanna invite you to become greedy for the lessons that we've already learned that you become greedy for finding the people who hold uh, the memories and the histories and the routines and the things that we've done and how we've done them in the past, and that you become curious about those things because those things are gonna really serve us as we move forward. And they, it would be such a shame if the things that God has done in this church would be resigned to memory and, and remember wins, you know? Um, and so, and for those of you who've been around, and I, and I just wanna speak to you too because I know this is kind of like, Awkward because church is about a people and not a place. But what happens when the people you've known leave the place? What does it mean to be a part of this church when there are so many new faces or so many scattered faces because of COVID and protocols? And for you, I want to say, um, I hear you and I see you and we desperately need you because if you don't... um, Reengage. We will have to learn all these lessons we've learned over again, and that would be such a waste of time. <laughs> uh, we could do so much more together, and so uh, I want you to become greedy for giving away that which you've learned and, and, and finding your places and spaces where you can say, hey, um, this is what we've done, but also let's hear what you've got to say, new person. Like, let's see, maybe there's some things we're going to try again, and maybe they were different because there's new people in the building, but let's, like, figure this out together. Amen? I think that's what God's trying to do to us. And so in that vein, I'm going to read you our teaching text for today, which again uh, is an old vision. It's a vision that God gave to a people that I really resonate with. And it has been um, core and kind of central to how I live out my life and how I follow Jesus and the vision that I bring into the leadership of this church. And that comes from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7 which says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's dive in. So, I've always, this passage, ever since I first read it years ago, it's just like, set such deep resonance in my bones. I'm not quite sure why, but... Uh, it's become more and more important to me as I've gotten older and as I've left my home and as I've like wandered my way through the world. And I guess I would say, um, in part, my first entrance into this passage comes from a question. And the question is, uh, what does home mean? What does home mean? And my question to you would be, what does home mean to you? Think about that for a second. Like, my wife and I uh, just bought a house um, just south of here, and I fully acknowledge uh, that in a, in a city expenses of ours, that statement is dripping with privilege. Um, but we, we, we did buy this house, and, um, you know, 
we've been in it for like two months and there's been a lot of work and it doesn't feel quite right, you know? Like, I know it's ours, technically it's Bank of America's. Um, <laughs> in 30 years it'll be ours. Um, but it doesn't, like, things aren't where they used to be and we kind of have more space but somehow it feels like we have less space. And the place that we moved from, the apartment that we moved from, we re-rented there, but it felt like home. It was actually the only home my family has ever known. We got married and moved into that place. Uh, we celebrated our first Christmas, like, as America, into that roof and bought our first Christmas tree together. We brought home our baby boy into that place. Like, we've done things. We've, like, cried with friends, like, deep wound tears. We've, like, fed so many people. We've, like, had parties. It's just, there was life there. That still kind of feels like home, and this place we're in kind of still feels like a house. Like, we did life there, and we're doing work here. But I know that'll change as we get more memories and time. Uh, I've been in New York City uh, actually nine years this week on the 24th. And when I travel and I talk about home, I refer, I mean this place when I use that word because New York for all intents and purposes has become my home. And I don't mean that in like this like Brooklyn till I die kind of way. Um, <laughs> not because I'm not down for the cause. Uh, but because I don't just live my life that way, I just don't know where God's gonna have me. So as long as I'm here, this will be my home. But it has been my home for nine years. And it's kind of what I talk about. And when I travel, one of the things I look forward to is coming back and I always try to get the window seat because you would think it gets old, but there's something about looking out the window and seeing those lights. There's just something about it. The makeup of this place, even the horns honking, the geography, it just is kind of in my bones. And so when I talk about home and I travel, I mean here. But if I talk about home, when we talk about Thanksgiving, which for my money is the only thank holiday uh, worthy of being called the best holiday, uh, when I talk about home in the Thanksgiving sense, I'm talking about Lexington, South Carolina, uh, where my mama and them live. Uh, it's it's the place that like we go and we like have my, my dad's mac and cheese and his lemonade and my mom fries the chicken and I know that's stereotypical, but it just is what it is, okay? Um, but, but it's just everything's the way I like it and we, we eat and then we do the Soul Train line down and that is not a joke. Um, that is home. A few years ago, my wife uh, was a missionary for a couple years in Italy, in a little town called Salerno with crew. And a few years ago, we got to go back to, to, to where she served. And uh, there's actually a church there started by a person that she served with. And we went to this little Italian church and I was with these people and it was a service and it's all in Italian because duh. Um, and they started singing the songs. They were singing how great is our God and it was all in Italian. And I don't know Italian, I mean like, Beyond pizza and rigatoni, that's about the best I got. Um, so, but I'm singing these words and I know the melody and I just start weeping in this little Italian church because I know this song and I know these people even though I don't know these people. And I know this place even though I've never been here because they do what I do when I'm worshiping my God and our God. And so it feels 
like home. But what does that mean, that word home? I think what I take from that and why I share all that with you is because I think home can be more than a place that we rent or that we buy. It, it isn't respective of that. It can be where you came from or it can be where you are. It can be defined by this place or that place. Home is like the place where the familiar lives. If I had to give a definition, I would say home is the place where the need to wander rests. Where you're just there and you don't really need anything else and you don't need to go anywhere else and your heart is content and at peace. But the thing that troubles me about that definition, that home being the place where wander rests, is that I don't think any of us can ever truly know the full sense of home, not yet, especially the people of God, because there's always just something not quite right. There's always just something missing. For me, there's always just this longing for fullness that only God can provide, and I think the fullness of his presence. For me, home, I don't think I'll fully know home until I'm in the embrace of Jesus, and I really have no need for anything else. I tell my wife, when I die, don't spend a lot of money. Throw my body in the box. You can put it in the backyard. I promise I won't complain. Like, I will be so happy where I'm at. I won't be trying to come back this way. Like, just to be in the full embrace of Jesus means to be home. But if that's true, that home for at least for me, and I think for the people of God as a place that we'll find once we're in the fullness of Jesus, then that means that this is kind of a temporary home. In a way, we're exiles. This is actually where this passage that we're reading, our teaching text, is written to. It's written to an exilic people. See, the, uh, this is at the series, the prophet of Jeremiah is writing to the people just after Babylon has come in and, and they've taken out all the Israelites and they've taken them to Babylon and they've uprooted them from their ancestral lands. And now they're in this weird place that's not their own, that doesn't fit quite right. And God is writing to these exiles. And the things about exile is that you live in this new place that you've been taken to, but it's not home. There's this, your heart is in this other place and your hope is to go back. And you didn't choose to move here by reason or circumstance or force. You find yourself in this new place, but it just doesn't quite fit or it doesn't fit at all. And you wanna be back. There's a longing for what you know. Peter says it like this. Uh, he's writing to, again, the exiles, the church that is dispersed throughout Asia um, at the height of persecution. And he says this in uh, verses two and nine. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, here we go. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Peter refers to the early church as sojourners and exiles. One, because they literally were, but two, because in this heavenly sense of this newfound kingdom of God, this earth didn't quite fit. 
In Hebrews, right of Hebrews, verse 11, in this chapter of faith, after he writes about all these heroes of the faith, the writer of Hebrews says this, these people, speaking of these heroes, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, after having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. These, these people of the faith, they believed in God and these things that they didn't know would come. And, they, and he's speaking of Jesus. Some of them like David and Moses and Abraham and Isaac, they foretold of Jesus, but they never got to see him. They knew of a coming kingdom, but they never got to experience it. And that left them wandering the earth like sojourners and exiles and people looking for their home. So, I relate to the world primarily as kind of a family visitor. Like, you know when you go and visit family and it's like you have a little more freedom than like regular visitors, you know? Like you could just open the refrigerator. Uh, like you kind of have like room to sit down and make yourself at home, but you're still in someone else's house. Like you still should probably take off your shoes, you know? You should probably like wash your dishes, I would hope. Uh, but you're home, in a sense. That is how I relate to the world. Like, this is my home, but to be with Jesus is my home. Which brings this next question to me. If we are exiles, like, how are we are exiles called to live then in a place that's not quite home? How do we relate to the world around us if it's like that shirt that just doesn't quite fit? Well, we go back to this passage for that because listen to the words that God gives to these exiles. Verse five, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase the number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace, we're gonna stop there. It's so interesting to me that God like gives these words to people headed into a foreign place. Uh, let me back up a little bit. First Peter 1 and 17, I, I skipped this, I wanna give you this first, right. How do we live in a place that's not quite home? This is what Peter says uh, to another exilic people. And if you call on him as father who judged impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear. I think this is actually a callback for the Jewish people back to this passage of Jeremiah and this exil exilic people, people going into this home. And so Peter says to conduct yourselves in fear. And what does he mean by that? Well, um, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. He means like conduct yourself like you're scared, like be afraid, like because you have a God that judges impartially. There's a God who's gonna hold you for account for how you live in this place that you're visiting. And so do so with reverence and a respect. And that's kind of tricky because when we talk about fearing God, it's like you can be tempted to kind of see some unhealth there. Like I think about my, my, my son, he's two. When I tell him to come here, he doesn't come. He just kind of does what he wants to do. And that's partly because I'm raising him differently than I was raised. Um, because when I was raised, my mother said, come here, and you didn't come, she had a couple of methods. <laughs> 
that would ensure your expediency to coming to her. Uh, for those of you who are, are at Williamsburg Fire, I mean, she would pull out a switch and she would just, she would give me a little tune-up. She would give me a little spanking and I'd be like, oh my gosh. And that happened so much that when she would say come, before she even said come, I was like, you need me? You want anything? I'm right here, right? So I'm not raising my son that way. I'm trying to just do this new thing. And so he doesn't come to me. He has no fear. Hence why he just grabs things that can kill him. Um, But there's something I think about God where there is that fear like I have with my mom, but it doesn't come from like punity and it doesn't come from unhealth. Peter is calling us to like know that God means his business and he's calling us to serious work. But what is this serious work, right? And I think this is where the health comes in. Because if we come to God and what he wants to do, because we're like afraid of some like whipping from on high, then we've missed the point because God doesn't say come to me so that I don't have to correct you. He says come to me because what I want you to do is gonna give you life. And so listen again, what he wants them to do is to go build houses and to plant gardens and to get married and to have kids. And that's not a saying that everybody needs to get married, but the root there is to make family, create family. The cool thing about this, all of these things that God calls them to, they're creating an environment for life to grow and thrive. And I really love that, being in environments where life can grow and thrive. I wanna show you uh, a picture. Uh, and for those who uh, you know, are listening to this or can't see it, uh, this picture is uh, of, a, of this atrium, um, this center. This is uh, in the, the Keller Center of, uh, in the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. So this is actually the school and the place where future leaders are thinking about, learning about how to create policies that affect people's lives in ways that use creativity, but also like uh, seeks to improve the world and not to destroy the world, that seeks to help people and takes in consideration all the different people and not just a subset of people with power. But how do we really create policies to help benefit? And I'm an I'm a architecture like, no, like I just love looking at this stuff and what's beautiful about these pictures and what I love is like there's this like mix of the inorganic and the organic and all this like beautiful woodwork you see. Um, if you're from New York, it's kind of like the High Line and those like cascading steps. But here's what's cool to me. Here's what I love about this picture. And you can stop pouring through, it's fine. Um, the wood here comes from dead trees. Well, duh. But no, these are really dead trees. So fast, go back in time from this wood and let me tell you what happened. So uh, in around 2015, 2016, Chicago, their parks, which are full of trees, got this beetle that was uh, terrible to the ash trees, which are what this wood is, and it was killing all the trees. And so 90,000 trees had to be cut down. And they didn't know what they were going to do with these trees. And so they called up this guy named Theaster Gates, who's an artist from Chicago, and he's more than an artist. Um, uh, he is, he's a professor at University of Chicago. He is a person deeply bent about taking broken things and bringing life into them. And so they said, hey, maybe he's got an idea for what we can, some art project we could do with all this wood. And what Theaster Gates does is he sees that you have 90,000 trees and he says, well, we shouldn't like mulch it or we shouldn't like turn it into like just some sculpture. We should start a mill. 
And we should take an old substation that's on the bad part of town, and we should turn it into a mill, and then we should take the local people and give them a trade. And we could allow them to then take this wood that's like littering the, the ground in their parks and allow them to turn it into furniture, allow them to turn it into installations, allow them to turn it into buildings. And so now this atrium comes from some uh, the effects of a beetle ripping out trees, and it comes from the hands of people who now have a new job and a new trade. Is that not cool? And I love that, because you're taking something dead and you're bringing it to life. And that's what God does. And that's the invitation to an exilic people as we live in this world, how do we look with the eyes of Jesus to see the broken things, the rot out things, and see what's possible? What would happen in this city if we just got curious about God, what God wanted to do? What would happen at the city if the things we rushed past, we slowed down and we tried to see through the eyes of God to see what could become of it? Man, that's the vision I'm trying to be a part of. If you want to know more about that, there's a beautiful thing on Apple TV Plus called Home, uh, and they have an episode on Theaster Gates. Highly recommend it. This guy is amazing. In the, in, in the start of verse seven, God says to the exilic people, seek the peace. Seek the peace. That word there, that shalom. It's an idea of wholeness. I'm just gonna touch this real quickly. But I just wanna remind you that when we're dealing with Semitic languages, these are languages that are unlike English. They start concrete and they move to the abstract. We have an abstract language. So we would say things like, uh, I, in my compassion, the the." the Lord burns with compassion for those that he loves, right? We start with compassion, which is an abstract term. What does it really mean, right? The Hebrew context for language and understanding and culture is starts concrete and then tangs abstract. So it says that the, the, the man of God is planted like a tree by the rivers of the waters. A tree is a very concrete thing. And so we understand that a tree has these deep roots and those deep roots that are planted by the water have a continual source to be fed and to grow and to heal. And so you start with the concrete and then you move to the abstract that the man of God is placed in abiding with God and so that abiding with God feeds the roots of his life and he's able to grow strong, tall, and create shade for others. You get what I'm saying here? And so when we deal with the word shalom, the concrete picture of the word shalom, the, the meaning of it is a brick that has no blemish. And then there's also a wall of bricks that have no blemish, right? And so it's the structure, it's this, this wholeness that can uphold things. It's this wholeness and peace that's both individual and communal. And that is what's happening when we talk about the peace of God. It's this individual wholeness without a blemish in our lives, and it's this communal wholeness that provides without blemish in our lives that brings a peace and that we can build upon it. That is the peace that God is asking us to seek for the city around us. We've got to wrap up, so I'm going to, I want to just track with me a little bit longer. Here we go. This is referencing back to Genesis 1. And at the end of Genesis 1, verse 27, after God had made everything, he just said that it's all very good. 
This is what God's trying to do in our cities. This is what God is trying to do wherever we may be. He wants his people to join in his work of making things very good, of ushering in the peace of God. We seek the peace. But to what end? I think that's a fair question, okay? Because it's hard work. Like, think about what it means to plant gardens and to get married. Some of you know, you're like, I've been trying to get married for a while now, and it's hard, right? When you talk about gardening, in Genesis 1, there's this picture of wholeness and the peace. The earth yields its fruit to man. But in Genesis 3, with the curse, the world starts fighting back. The curse for Adam wasn't work. Work was a part of the original design. The curse of Adam was that it was contested work. The garden didn't just yield its fruit. He had to fight it. And so if we're going to live this way of Jesus, if we're going to see like the Astro Gates, if we're going to see like Jesus said the broken things, we can't fool ourselves to like not realize this is hard, hard work. It means denying ourselves. It means not being consumers of this city. It means not just living for our own passions and desires, but it means living in sacrificial love towards others. Which begs the question is to what end? Isn't it not better if we're an exilic people to just fight our way back, to try to create laws and everything that we need to do that just makes this place feel like the kingdom of God? Can't we just like force our way into the kingdom of God? Wouldn't that be easier? No. God sends this exilic people, he sends his people to this foreign land and he says, go be a blessing. Verse seven, wrapping up. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. There's this beautiful subversiveness to the kingdom of God. He sends his people into a foreign land under a foreign oppressor, and he tells them not to fight it, but instead to be a blessing. But he doesn't tell them, he tells them, he calls them exiles, which knows that this is still your home. I'm gonna bring you back to your home, but it's gonna be a while. So before you get home, but while you're there, for as long as you're there, be a blessing. And I think that's a word of encouragement to us. That is a word of encouragement to us because if God is directing our path and our progress, we wait and we work because ultimately we become prosperous. Because if we do it the Lord's way, it actually brings life. The people of God bless and are blessed as an outflowing of communion with God. Like look back at verse seven. He says, when you seek the peace and prosperity, I've carried you into this exile. And what do you do? Pray to the Lord for it. And what is the outcome of praying to the Lord, communing with the Lord, conversing to the Lord for your city? It prospers and you too will prosper. And this isn't a prosperity gospel. The problem with the prosperity gospel is that it, it, it uh, there's a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> it says that God owes us something and it has a very narrow definition of what it means to prosper. Sometimes to prosper is actually to endure pain. It's not the sun that causes the plant to grow, it's the rain, 
And when God calls us into prospering into an exilic place, what he is selling us and doing for us is he's saying, because I sent you, this will be to your ultimate good. This is the promise of scripture. Romans 8 and 9, I am working all things for the good of those who what? Who love me and are called according to my purposes. So when we come into this place, when we look at the world around us, and we do so with prayerful hearts that converse and commune with God, what happens is we become aligned with God and what he's doing. And when that happens, he gets to bring about life because that's what he does. Prayer brings alignment with God, fellowship with one another, and invitation to the Spirit to act. Let me read that one more time. Prayer brings alignment with God, fellowship with one another, and invitation for the Spirit to act. And so when God, this is why the, the unveiling of praying for the places where we're planted is that it brings prosperity because as we pray, we become in union and alignment with God and each other. You're going through that too? You're gonna get up under this burden with me? Thank you, this is beautiful. And when that starts to happen, we can now have the confidence to get out of the way and not try to save ourselves and fight our way back home. But we then can allow the Spirit of God to move in and through us. And where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of God is, there's life because he creates environments for life to grow and thrive. You see what I'm saying? That's the vision. That's what I'm ordering my life around. That's what I hope for this church. The band's gonna come back up. Um, I'm a man never fully at ease with the world around him. And I'm trying to make good space for others who are curious and wandering. That no matter where they may be, they may be able to find a healthy place to ask questions, a healthy place to dig up the weeds in their life, a healthy place to start planting roots in some good soil. I just want to create a space for that. Because I think if we can do that, if we can become that place where people can start unloading some of their baggage and working through their stuff, we can get our soil in the, in the rivers of God, we can start to grow strong, and we can be shade for the dejected and the oppressed and the subjugated and those who need to know freedom. And this is not some like, let's like change the world, like some big way thing. Uh, Mother Teresa said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. So my vision is not that we're gonna like, I don't know, start a Vatican in New York City. <laughs> my vision is that we will become a people whose neighbors are so thankful for us. A vision is that we would become a people that like our friends find to be a blessing and not a curse. That we have families that are healthy and become families for those who don't have families. That we would become like a people unloaded from our baggage and where we've been and the stuff that's been placed on us. That we could just live free. That's just what I want. It's, it's nothing big. It's that we would be a place where like all kind of people could come in and find themselves at home. No matter how much money they have or whether they rent or they buy or they're going to be here for three years or 12 years. Wherever they're going to be, they would know that this is a place of home and family. 
I want us to start that. Here's what I want us to do. Um, I want you to like find someone. I need to make sure that everyone here gets prayed for. I have a simple prayer. I wrote it, and we can put it on the screen. It's, 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 it's very easy. Um, what happened if we just started praying for one another? Maybe you're not a prayer. It's okay. That's why I wrote it for you. You can literally just read those words, okay? Um, you're going to find out their name if you don't know them. But I would love for you to just grab someone, and we're just going to say this little prayer. Open their eyes. We're talking to God. Open their eyes to see as you see. Open their hands to be equipped for your work. Open their heart for the conviction to follow you. It's, it's very simple. But I think if like we start just doing that for one another, encouraging one another that way, praying for one another, we'll start to prosper. And that, prosperous, that prosperity will spill over into the world, right? So let's take a second. Find somebody, especially someone sitting alone. Let's make sure that every person just has that short prayer. Pray for them. Can we do that? Can we take a second? If you're at home, call somebody. Do it. Text it to somebody. You can keep moving. You can get up. You can go. You can do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Just make sure everybody has that prayed over them. Don't be shy. If you're listening to this on the podcast, maybe turn to the person that's beside you. Pray it for them. Open their eyes to see as you see. Open their hands to be equipped for your work. Open their heart for the conviction to follow. When you said it, you can just get your seats back. How are we feeling? Any casualties? Did everyone make it out okay? this is possible. The power for all of this won't come from our good intentions. The best of intentions. It won't come from that. The power won't come from our fortitude. It won't come from fancy speeches. It won't come from any of that. It's only going to come from the blood of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. And, uh, and that's what communion reminds us of. The table reminds us of our constant need to come back to the source to be trees planted by the rivers of water. I don't think that makes sense. Um, and so before we, as our act of worship and, and as we start to, the band's gonna lead us in a chorus and sing, we're gonna get up from here uh, in a second and we're gonna get communion. And if you take communion, you can take it back to your seat. And you can, you know, very quickly just like take it 
take down your mask, take the communion, please put your mask back on. Um, and then we also have these prayer rugs here where you can come and just like do with your body what your heart is doing. Like maybe you need to get on your face before the Lord and say amen, or maybe you need to get on your knees and just like praise God that he's good. Um, whatever you need to do, they're there for that. And there'll be people here that would love to pray for you, but you already pray for each other, so you could keep doing that too. Um, so whatever you need, let, let's push into that. But before we come to the table, uh, we're gonna do so with an acknowledgement that we need the Lord. And so we're gonna take a moment for just some personal confessions. So would you just close your eyes and uh, would you just say to the Lord all the things, all the things that are burdening you, all the things that have been breaking you down, all the sin, would you give it to Jesus now? this corporate confession together. Father, we confess that we are broken and desperately in need of your grace. We humble ourselves before you and name the things that we have done or left undone that have not reflected your goodness or our trust in you. Forgive us for all the ways that we have fallen short and lead us into greater healing and wholeness through your blood. Amen. Now, church, stand up. I'm going to read this assurance over us, and then we're going to start responding. We're going to come forward. We're going to grab communion. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to sing like there's no tomorrow. I would love to hear your voices. They're so beautiful. Let's say this assurance together. We hold our assurance in the power of God, our Father. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all powers, authority, and allegiances, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for us, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I wrote that, it's way too wordy, I'm sorry. Um, okay, Miriam, lead us. Come, grab communion. Let's pray for one another, yeah?